Thank you for joining us for Sermons on Demand from Friendship Grace Brethren Church. We provide these videos as a way to share the pulpit messages and teachings offered at Friendship Grace Brethren Church. If you find these videos a helpful resource, please drop us a note at info at friendshipgracebrethren.com. Now open your Bibles and get ready to dig into the Word of God. Okay, any, any questions uh, before we get going? that uh, I can answer, or try to answer. Yeah. Okay, no questions. Then let's go. Um, first question, read Leviticus 26, 3 and 4. How would you apply this principle of, the principle of this passage to our modern church age context? That's Leviticus 26, three and four if you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them then i will give you your rains in their season and the land shall yield its increase and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit so the first thing we need to do is determine what the principles are in the text right so we do that first by beginning with uh First, by beginning with that's kind of redundant, isn't it? We do, <laughs> we we begin with uh, our observations of the text. So, um, what do you observe in the text? Who if, who's, you, if the Israelites obey, then God will give them a blessing of the rain and harvest. Okay, let's let's start at the beginning. Who's talking? In the passage. God? In in the passage. Yeah, God, right. God. And what's being referenced? The law. The law, previously stated commandments, right? Something that they mm -hmm. knew. Mhm. Mm okay. And uh, obedience to the commandments results in blessings from Blessing. God. Blessings from God. God. And, uh -oh. the and another restatement of that is restatements or rewards come because of obedience. So those, those are the things we can observe clearly in the text, right? Mm -hmm. Is there anything else in that passage that we're missing? It's stated to the people there at that time. Is it stated to us? No. Well, well, I would say that that the rewards are based on their the way they were living at the time. It's based on an abundance of agricultural produce, the the fruit of the land. Right. I would say it's land based because Israel is all about the land. Yeah, I think you're right. reading my I think you're reading my notes because I. Uh, I talk about mm -hmm. that 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 in their context, the uh, the rewards are are mostly temporal, right? And, and prosperous, right? They they they're living a subsistence life, right? Uh, what they eat is what they get that day. They don't have a yep. walk-in freezer and uh, and all sorts of storage. Um, they get what the, that day what they eat that day, and so being prosperous means there's actually something there to get 
Yep. Okay. And so maybe that, they have a little bit to sell or something. Right. Which which may mean they get dessert one day next week. Yeah. Very very good. Yeah, that's uh, that's exactly right. So, um, what principle? Remember, you're you're developing the principle for them from this text. You're not developing our principle. We we have to translate it into into our context. But what's the principle or the timeless principle from from this passage? Obedience equals blessing. Yeah, obedience to God's commands results in rewards from God. Rewards. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. So now let's take it out of the subsistence world because I don't think any of us have ever lived in that world. Uh, we go to the grocery store, and if you go to Costco or Sam's, you buy enough for a month. Um, and uh, you you may discover that you don't have peanut butter, so you, there, there's nothing in the house to eat. But there's always something to eat. So we don't live in that that kind of subsistence environment. But they did. And so their rewards were basically temporal, what they could grab a hold of at the time. They, they weren't looking past um, the day after tomorrow, let alone eternity. That was really not a, a significant concept in their life. They were looking at tomorrow. Or if it was early enough in the day, they're looking at dinner tonight. Now, let's take that, that principle... Obedience to God's command re, uh, commands results in rewards from God. The same wouldn't be true for us. We don't live in that temporal subsistence kind of fashion. And so rewards for us may be different. How so? John 14, 15, and 16. Which says? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. Okay. So that I means... Go ahead. I was going to say, I think the rewards would be spiritual for us. Not always, but uh, more often than it was for the Old Testament saints. True. Yeah. And more often, our uh, results are, are eternal, rather than temporal because we tend to think more on the eternal so with that being in mind then how would you how would you make an application of this principle in our world today in our context i think there'd be a lot of applications but something as simple as if you stand up for what's right in in a situation because you're obeying God, then God will bless that, whether it's just simply by your testimony or whether he's going to provide you with something or it's an eternal blessing, you're going to be blessed because you did what was right. Be more specific, not not quite so esoteric, but more more specific. How do we how does this apply? And I know application is an individual thing, not a group thing. But how, how would you apply this in your own life? I can give an example from school. At school, I refused to be involved in gossip. And so they would stop talking when I walked into the faculty uh, room. 
However, when I retired, I at least 20 of the notes that were in my, put in my little jar talked about how they were thankful that they could come to me and knew that I, that I would pray for them. Mm -hmm. So there was a blessing involved in standing up for what was right. Others? I think, I be, I think <laughs> obedience in our home, in our work life, in your free time, in your study of his word and your relationship with those that we engage in. All of those are areas that we need to, to be focused on. Everything that we do, we need to strive to obey the commands found in Scripture. What do you need to do in order to obey the commands in Scripture? Obey. Obey. Oh, you got Hold on. Thank you, Chuck. What's involved in obeying the scripture is obeying them. That's obvious. That's a duh. Uh, you got you got to know them. You yeah. can't obey scripture if you don't know it. But ignorance study. is not a ignorance is not a defense. So it's incumbent upon each of us to know what God says. And then it's an active. Um, participation on your part by doing them, by actually obeying them. Yeah. And you can't do it on your own. So thank you, Sybil, for bringing up that passage because that reminds us that the Holy Spirit is is that gift that that Jesus prayed for us to receive that gives you the uh, the ability, and I'll I'll go ahead and say it, the supernatural ability to do what God tells you to do. Because you're incapable of doing it on your own. That is so. So that, that's how we that's how we take that principle from there in Leviticus and bring it into our modern context. We're gonna we're gonna do a lot of that this evening. Any questions or comments? But also if you obey we have the peace with God. We don't always have peace because we don't live in a peaceful world. But we have peace. We can have that inner peace. Obedience brings inner peace. Right. I would argue that that's that's a blessing that can only come from God. Very good. Okay. Numbers chapter one documents the census of the people of Israel. Why is this important for us in the church age? To go through. Because let's face it. Numbers is the. I'm going to say the the most boring. Or that's eh, not the right way to say it. The, the mm -hmm. hardest book. To read through. And keep your mind engaged on. Hearing from God. It, it's really really hard. I get it. I struggle every year. So, why, why then do we go through it? So we can get the little gold star that says we read the book of Numbers, or like <laughs> now Numbers. Yeah. So, so if, if if you're all about yourself, that would be true. Behavior modification. You know? Yeah. 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 
we we do it. We, go ahead, Ann. The ladies' Bible study just had a whole lesson on this. Mm-hmm. David doing census. Census, yep. And David wasn't supposed to do a sentence, a census, but the Lord allowed Satan to prompt him to do a sentence. I guess his his ego used his ego and wanted to see how how many guys he had to go out and fight it if he needed. Mm-hmm. And uh, his his. First, his second in command, Joab said, "No, this is the wrong thing to do," and he did it anyway. And God punished him for it, but gave him the option—didn't kill him. Gave him the option of three different types of punishment. And David said, "I would rather that God mete out my punishment than I take it from somebody else." So he selected the three days of plague. And then he repented, and did I miss anything? No, that's that's a great account that has tremendous benefit for us. Yeah, because he's obedient mm-hmm. or disobedient, and he and he repents. But let's go back to Numbers one, where it's really boring. Let's face it; it's boring, right? Yeah. I mean, I have written that last year. Okay. The purpose of the census is to let the people know that God knew who they were and their place and that he really cares about them and he knows the plan and that he's changing the family from a rabble, rabble, R-A-B-B-L-E, into a nation. Okay, good. That still doesn't answer the question. Why is it important for us in the church age to go through this? Because it shows us that God knows who we are. Does that help any? Yeah. It's so obvious. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So there's something there for us. Mary mm-hmm. recounted some of what uh, is there. And so, MacArthur's note said, good. MacArthur, MacArthur's note says that it was for the purpose of determining the ransom money for the service of the tabernacle. Yeah, that's that's one of the one of the reasons. But I think there's a lot more there, particularly when we look at it from a principle standpoint. So let's let's do our observations again of the text. What do we observe in in Numbers chapter 1? There's there's a bunch of facts there, and I think it really helps to lay out the facts. The Levites were exempted. Okay, that's way down at the bottom. Let's start at the beginning. Who's talking? God is talking, and he tells Moses to take the census. Okay, God is talking directly to Moses, right? Okay. Right. What else do you notice there early on in the text? It was uh, the first day of the second month after the second year of the Israelites departing from Egypt. Yeah, very specific dating, isn't it? 
Yeah. Because it's special. It's it's an important thing, and God wanted Moses to to make the document very sp specific. So, so it's after the year at Mount Sinai, right? Yeah. It, it's right when they're going to start going again after spending the year at Sinai. And it's yeah. right after the Passover. Yeah, Leviticus Passover. is all about Sinai, and then Numbers, they start marching. So it would be right after the second Passover. Right. Okay. So when you when you read the text, the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tent of the meeting on the first day of the second month in the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt. When, when you start a section with such specificity, when you're reading Moses particularly, you know that this, there's going to be some important, very specific facts for you to uh, to see there. So he, he he has a specific date and he gives very specific instructions. Take a census. Buy clans. Buy the father's house. According to the number of names. Every male, 20 years and up. He's given Moses step-by-step step very specific numbers or very specific points of who to count. And then he said, Aaron is to list them company by company. One tribal representative um, for each tribe is listed by name. Again, very specific information. We're given the names which mean nothing to us now, but meant something special to Moses and the readers that first read this. So then Moses and Aaron took the men together, and they assembled the people together and registered them according to their father's houses. So here's, here's a bunch of biographical information that's being collected. So they have lots and lots and lots of information now as the registration um, then totals very specific numbers from each tribe. This is perhaps as specific as it gets on the tribes. And then we see the statement that Mary referenced earlier, that the Levites are exempted because they care for the temple. So there's chapter 1, basically, in, uh, in a nutshell. That's, that's what happens in chapter 1 without all the numbers and names. So now let's start putting some principles. Let's see if we can articulate some principles from those observations. Well, God knows us by, by name. Yep. And he puts us in certain families. Yep. I, I uh, wrote these principles down. God cares about the details. We, we often think we just need to pray in general. I mean, God cares about the details because he's that good. He can know all of your details and know all of my details and deal with a bunch of other details at the same time. God knows where each person belongs and he knows what we're to do. We'll see that a little later if we have time uh, this evening that God even plans for us to do certain things. The third principle is God has, uh, has us complete some activities for us to learn what he already knows. 
God didn't learn the numbers of the people in each tribe through this process. Moses and Aaron knew. and the leaders did. He knew. He already knew. Yeah, he already knew. So, so God is not learning something here. He's having you do us do something, or having Moses and Aaron do something, so that they learn something. But why did they need to know this? Is my question. Well, that's that's another that's another interesting question. I I have lots of theories. I don't have any anything that I can necessarily substantiate from the text. Could it be also that it's for the 144,000 at the end that they go back to, to this very document? Well, I, I don't see how that would work because unless the 144,000 are recreated, or, or I'm sorry, resurrected from Old Testament saints, and I don't think that's what we see in Revelation. And there's way more than 144,000. Yeah, it's way more than 144,000. Yeah, yeah, there are 12,000. Yeah. I think there are some reasons, militarily and uh, economically, for this to happen. Um, there would be an ongoing tax for the temple or tabernacle that would need to be collected and so forth. There would need to be a hierarchical structure of leadership Um when the congregation was called together, all 600 and some million men and all the boys and girls and, and women and uh, foreigners, they couldn't all get together to do that. So there had to be a hierarchical structure of, of uh, gathering all the leaders, how many ever thousands that is, and then them filtering the data down. So that makes sense. Um, there's all sorts of reasons for the military as... Mary pointed out one of the things that I that I have uh, understood about this is that God was in the process of of making them a military people. Well, military people need hierarchical hierarchical structure. They need a hierarchy, and they need to they need to know who who's the who's the general of each tribe, and who who's the the mid leaders, and who's the lower leaders, and who's a, who are all the foot soldiers. So that gets all documented here. So there's a lot of reasons why it happens. But that doesn't, the reason why it happens doesn't, doesn't change the principles behind it. Can anybody think of any other principles than these three that are, that are right here? Okay, so let's just go say that those are, those are good principles from this. Then uh, how do we apply those principles in our modern church age context praying for specific missionaries instead of just praying please bless the missionaries okay very good because god knows the details and apparently he cares enough about them that he wanted moses and aaron to know know the details so we should as well how about accepting the fact that god knows us and knows what he wants from us even when we don't. Mm -hmm. Ephesians 2.10, For we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He knows who we are in detail. Mm -hmm. he, he knows the hairs of our heads, which, you know, let's face it, for me, that's not much of a challenge. 
but for some of you, it's a little bit more of a challenge. He knows what he wants us to do. And then he has us step through things mm -hmm. so that we learn what he already knows. Just like he did with Moses and Aaron. He, he had them doing something that the end result would tell him what he already knew. But Moses and Aaron learned through that. And through that isn't we that, have... Go ahead. I was going to say, isn't that the purpose of all of our trials, though, is to teach us something that God already knows about us? Yeah, but it, we're not. this is not a trial. Well, but... We go, we go through lots of things that aren't trials that, that shape us and teach us. So that's what's happening in this place. God's probably not going to send you out to be a census worker. But he, he knows what he wants us to do. He knows how he wants us to do it. He knows when and where he wants us to do it. And, and he's good at all those details. And, and God puts us together then, I think down to this specific local church, God has assigned certain people to those churches for a specific task or set of tasks or ongoing set of tasks. God puts people together to form the congregation he wants. I, I think his detailness, detailness is, is good to include that level of detail. For Moses and Aaron, it included down to the, to the family detail. For us, it includes down to the to the local congregation detail. He knows when we're obedient, and he knows when when uh, we're not. And he's got a list, and he's checking it twice. Wow! Yeah. You guys need to stand up. <laughs> when those jerks go over your head, you just need to stand up. No, oh, I, <laughs> I laughed. Well, I didn't know if you were laughing with me or at me. Okay. Well, I'm not going to tell you. Okay, well, here, let's go on to the next. Uh, why were the Levites not listed in the census? What do we learn about God through this? Numbers 1, 47 mm -hmm. through 54... Why weren't yeah. the Levites listed? Because they take care of the tabernacle. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what does that tell you about God? <sighs> that he has specific jobs for all of us, and he chooses to put okay. us where he wants us to do what he wants us to do. Right. There's more. You're right, but there's more. Okay. Yeah. God wants to, I'm struggling to think of it, wants us to recognize his holiness by the way he has had, the way he had the tabernacle constructed and set aside Aaron and the Levites to care for it, that it was supposed to be something sacred and solemn and holy. Right. And therefore, not everybody could participate in the care of it and the administration of it. Yeah, I think you articulated that pretty good. God values our worship. Mm -hmm. And he values and, our worship system. 
and he, I think it shows that the that the people who are specifically working to take take care of the the tabernacle, the temple, the church leaders, or whatever, are worthy of their hire. They aren't charged, but the people who are taxed, their money goes to take care of the temple and them. Correct. Correct. God values. Think about the context of where they are. They're they're working on getting to the promised land and taking it over militarily. God is is molding people that were slaves that grew up as slaves, knew nothing other than being slaves, and making them a free people that also had military power. So that meant along the way they're making weapons. They're learning how to use them. I suspect besides the tabernacle, every time they set up camp, they set up an archery range and a javelin range. And they were practicing. They were learning how to do that. Because they never knew where they were going to run into an enemy that would come after them. And so they were being changed into a fighting, a mighty fighting people. And at the same time, and, and they knew they were that was happening. At the same time, God took out one whole tribe and said, that's not your job. Your job is to take care of the worship system. God values our relationships with him. Now, Israel absolutely failed at maintaining the worship system and a relationship with God. They, they were terrible at it. But God gave them all the abilities that they needed to get there. In, in Leviticus, you know, that whole section where, uh, um, oh, just lost his name, that, that did all the work on, uh, on all the art and crafts work on the tabernacle. Starts with a B. Yeah, it, it's it's so. Is it? I keep thinking Belshazzar, but it wasn't that. No. It wasn't. Nope. It, it's not, not like a No. Wow! It just went out of my brain. Holy cow! Bear, 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 something. No, I don't think it starts with a B. Yogi. <laughs> oh. Yogi Bear. No. Yeah, yeah, Yogi Bear. <laughs> yeah, deja vu all over again. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, so, what's what's the principle there? God values worship, right? You can you you see that principle from the text. Mm -hmm. God dedicated an entire tribe to maintaining the worship system, so God values worship. Then let's take that principle into our co modern context. Now, we're we're not charged to be uh, fighting forces necessarily so what how, how do we apply this principle then to us in our, in our specific context Christian service is never volunteer you don't volunteer you get chosen very good okay following God serving God uh, being his slave is is not a volunteer position it's it's a uh, it's a voluntold position. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I like that word. Mm -hmm. 
I I think go ahead, Ann. Um, we're we're to take our our worship seriously. Um, not that it always has to be solemn and sober, but um, you know our our attitude when we come to worship, the way we we care for the place where we worship, um, just everything about us as we worship has to remind us that we are communicating with a holy and righteous God. And it has to be a priority, right? And a priority, yes. Yeah. In our context, the, the world, by and large, looks at church as where you go to get something, not where you go to give something, and where it's all about your felt needs. No, no. And that's not what God what God says. God has a priority on this. Church is what you do for 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 many people. Church is what you do when you have nothing left to do on Sunday morning, and you woke up and you can't sleep in, you can't get a tea time, and brunch is full. And so you go to church. You got to do something so you go to church. That's in reality the way a lot of the world looks at it. But it can't ever be an afterthought. God doesn't want out of our excess. He wants us. And and he wants us before we decide how much money we have left. And I'm not using this as a as a plea for funds. I'm using it as an illustration. Our offerings are our tithes, if you will. I don't like using that word, but our offerings, our gifts to to the Lord's ministry, needs to come off the top, not the bottom, because that that shows what the priority is. The priority is giving to the church or giving to God is a better way to say that without sounding really self-serving. Giving to God and not worrying about what's left because God always takes care of what's left. I was just going to say, if, if you give to God first, I have, I have never found that when I give to God first, I don't have enough to make it to the end of the month. But I have found when I try to do the bills first, that right. there isn't enough. Right. And, and but I've never found it the other way. And it's so it, it was interesting at uh, Ministerium on Tuesday. Um, some of the churches were, some of the guys were talking about how they, they may have to, in the next year, decrease their, their missions giving. And somebody, one, I don't remember which one it was, looked at me and said, you look a little frustrated. And I said, <laughs> I am frustrated because you guys are backwards. Mm-hmm. If, if, if the if your if your church is focused on on taking care of itself before it takes care of its ministries, you're backwards. Mm-hmm. And the end result is you will fail. Now I recognize I have no capital to be able to say that because we meet in our house, and I know that's what those guys were thinking. But I said we made a cho- we made a choice. We were paying the bills. We could have stayed there, but we were we made a choice. To, to not have that bill so we could continue to pay the ministry and even more. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're putting our money where our mouth is. You guys are not. 
I didn't win a whole lot of friends, but you know, that's not my job. The the principal. Rich. I'm sorry. No, I was talking. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Linda. Go ahead, Linda. I was going to say the, the the two names you were looking for was Ahola, Holub and Bezalel. Bezalel, right? Bezalel. Bezalel. You're right, Elaine. It did start with a B. <laughs> yeah, Bezalel was the head guy, and right. Aholabab was his sidekick. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we need to remember that church is not about what we get. It's about what we what we do, what we give, and and I don't mean money. Um. Showing up to church on Sunday is an encouragement to somebody. And if for nobody else, an encouragement to me. Not showing up to church on Sunday may be an encouragement to you because you slept in 15 more minutes, but it trashes me. It's very discouraging. Yeah, it trashes a whole bunch of people. I know several in our congregation are frustrated when people don't show up. So. I have to admit, Sunday morning is the hardest for me because I have to get up much earlier than my clock wishes to because I'm an hour earlier than you guys. Sorry. Oh, I know, but I mean, that is the hard one for me. Shut the middle of Arkansas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that's where God planted me. Okay, let's, uh, let's answer a question that we had in Sunday school. Why is that? There we go. Can God look on sin? No. Wait, you say no, Sybil? Yes, I said no. <laughs> so, that means there's something God can't see? Well, if that would, if he can't, that would rule out every single one of us. Right. So in Sunday school, we, uh, when that was said, somebody asked, or is that a pastorism? Here's what I'm going to say. It's a biblical construct, and it's a pastorism because we get the construct wrong. So where, where is it found in the Bible that God can't look on sin? Well, when Jesus hung on the cross. Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? Mm-hmm. Okay. Where, where specifically does it say God can't look on sin? Everybody should know this this book. Habakkuk 1.13. Um, <laughs> I was just going to say that. Yeah, right. <laughs> you were going to say something like Paulations 2. Put in that no case. <laughs> you who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? Okay? That's the only place where we have a statement about God not being able to look on sin. Now, let me put it in a in a little bit easier verbiage. The ESV is a little, little strained there. NASB is even harder. But uh, the Christian Standard Bible puts it this way. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil, and you cannot tolerate wrongdoing. So why do you tolerate those who are treacherous? Why are you silent, uh, silent while one who is wicked swallows up one who is more righteous than himself? Now let me put this in context and talk about that a little bit. Habakkuk in this, in this passage is asking God a series of questions 
related to his own observation that Israel, specifically Judah, has turned very evil. They're focused on evil all the time. Mm-hmm. Evil or uh, Israel was filled with sin, and there were very few holy or righteous people left. So God reveals to to Habakkuk, or if you want to say it other words, Habakkuk. Um, he reveals to him his plan for Babylon to take over um, Judah in punishment for their sins. So here, here is an evil nation going to come and take over the people, God's chosen people, Israel. Habakkuk uh, struggled with that revelation, and and uh, he he said, "God, why? What's the deal here? Your eyes are too pure to look on evil, and you can't tolerate wrongdoing. So why do you tolerate those who are treacherous?" read Babylonians. Why are you silent when one who is wicked, Babylonians, swallows up one who is more righteous than himself, read Israel? So there's the question he asks. What you have to understand is, this is this is Hebrew poetry. It's prophetic poetry. And there's certain rules of how you interpret what's being said. On the screen I have, uh, I have look on and tolerate in <coughs> in red because in the parallel um, scheme those relate to each other so your your eyes are too pure to look on evil you cannot tolerate wrongdoing so look on and tolerate are in this in the positions to be synonyms of each other so it's not that God can't see it it's he can't endorse it he can't put up with it that's what's being said here in that context, Habakkuk states that God's eyes are too pure to look at the evil, to tolerate the wrongdoing. So Habakkuk says to God that you, you, you can't tolerate this. You can't tolerate Babylon coming and taking over Judah. God is omniscient. He's omnipresent. He can't not see something, so obviously we have to see a different way to interpret this, and I think this is a way to do that. Um, Habakkuk here illustrates um, that God can't look favorably on sin. So how we apply this verse determines whether it's a biblical construct or Pastorism. How we how we interpret really is a better way to say that, not apply, but how we interpret this verse is if you interpret it that he can't see it at all, then it's a pastorism. If you interpret it that he uh, he can't tolerate it, which the Hebrew poetry seems to point out, then uh, it's a biblical construct, and uh, it's true, right? I've been talking for for a few years now about the apparent conflict between God's righteousness and holiness and his love and mercy. Those seem to be at odds. God can't tolerate the sin. It has to be dealt with. His righteousness and his holiness demands that the sin be dealt with. But his mercy and his grace... Say that again, Sybil? But his love for what... But his holiness demand, his love and mercy grace provide. But in love he sent his son. So That's right. That's absolutely right. That's a, that's a good way to say it. 
So that's an answer to the question we had in Sunday school. Does that help, Elaine? Thank you for watching or listening to this teaching on demand from Friendship Grace Brethren Church. Please consider sending us an email at info at friendshipgracebrethren.com to let us know how this teaching may have helped you. Please also consider joining us in person at Friendship Grace Brethren Church, located at 10251 Metro Parkway, Suite 116, Fort Myers, Florida, just south of the intersection of Metro and Colonial Boulevard. Sunday School begins at 9 and worship service at 10 a.m. We look forward to seeing you in person at Friendship Grace Brethren Church.